Welcome to Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forge in the Dark games and their designers. Today, I'm Justin, and I'm, I'm running solo, so to speak. Uh, we're going to be interviewing our own producer, Jacob Siegel, about his game uh, Asphalt and Trouble in an episode where I'm titling Another Word for Trouble. Hi, Jacob. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Jacob, you've introduced yourself before on this podcast, but would you like to do so again? Sure. So my name is Jacob. I am the editor of this podcast and help put some of it together. I've also been on some of the other productions that the Hacked in the Dark Network has done. Mm -hmm. I am writing Asphalt in Trouble, as you said, as my big piece. I've also written the Drowners for the Unusual Suspects. That's right. You mentioned that you've appeared on some other things. What, what, what actual place have you been a player in? I've only been a player in the Virgins one, but mm -hmm. I was behind the scenes doing the production of the Death wish one right so for viewers jacob kind of has been managing a lot of the productions that we've been doing for the show um and you can think a lot of the work that you're hearing and seeing in this community you can thank jacob for that mm -hmm. i know we have plans to get you some helper soon and and you should definitely yep. i hope you avail yourself of that as needed because because it's it's a lot i'm sure it's a lot of work it is to to get all of the productions in order yeah, as of this recording, we're running the Fistful of Darkness actual mm -hmm. play, and I'm not involved in that, so that's a nice break. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Which means maybe you can uh, work a little more on Asphalt and Trouble in the intervening <laughs> yes. time. Would you like to tell us what Asphalt and Trouble is? Sure. It is a game where you are a biker gang in a corporate-fueled climate apocalypse, struggling to survive, uniting the people of the wilderness, fighting corporations, being awesome. Very high-stakes action-adventure. And what are the inspirations for Asphalt and Trouble? Because my first inspiration is actually the adventure game Full Throttle yeah. uh, by Sierra, I believe, Entertainment. That was by LucasArts, but yes. Oh, you're right. LucasArts. <laughs> of course. I had a vague idea for the setting mm -hmm. and then saw an uh, actual play YouTube series of someone playing Full Throttle, which I had played when I was a kid mm -hmm. and decided to pair them together. And that's what really made me make it and then shortly after that i ended up watching mad max fury road mm. which also is a huge inspiration for this oh of course yeah simultaneously my wife was reading the beyond book series and the gideon's writers series of part of the same world which is also very similar to this so she mm. hopped in to do a lot of the world building stuff when we were starting it's funny the mad max series is very much about a climate apocalypse, but that almost mm -hmm. you almost forget that that's what it's about because it's it's really more about the action and, and the setting environment kind of, you know, yeah. what makes this a climate apocalypse in, in Asphalt and Trouble? What's the impetus? Yeah, so there are three settings that you can have and mm -hmm. the you know mechanics and the people involved are kind of the same. There's some differences, but they're all looking at how the climate is changing here and ex further extrapolation of how it could be terrible. So there are the burnlands, which have wildfires. There are the floodlands, which are hit by hurricanes and are flooded coastlines. And there mm -hmm. are the badlands, which are once green areas that are now deserts. Okay. So no water world, no wave racing. <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> I just started another playtest. We're playing a, in the floodlands, most things are uh -huh. flooded. There's one highway that is raised that is used for racing. Okay. So that's a big kind of racing thing for this one. <laughs> All right. Maybe a stretch goal if there's a very Kickstarter. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, 
So how long have you been involved in the Forge and Art community? What, what brought you in? I joined the community about a year ago, I think. Mm -hmm. Around this time last year was Hex Unplugged, and I had started really digging into Asphalt and Trouble then, and found out like a bunch of other people were making Forge and Art games, and there was this forum and everything, mm -hmm. and found the Discord from there. I've uh, been involved pretty much since then. So post G+. <laughs> yes, I have not been on Google+. Plus. Okay. Consider yourself lucky. <laughs> okay. No, that's 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 a dig that doesn't that's unnecessary. G+ is fine. There's actually a lot of material from the G+ community that is is kind of lost relics at this point, unfortunately, that I feel is being slowly brought back. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, I hope to see more of it. What role has the community played in your work then? You've been here for about a year. Mm -hmm. How 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 has the community helped you develop the game? So this is the, my first big project. I've done small things for personal campaigns and D&D &D and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So it really set me on the right track and made me question a lot more things I had assumed I would just keep the same from Blades or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. so all the deep dives into interesting topics, what the difference is between adjusting dice versus adjusting position effect, that kind of thing. Should you keep group actions? That's a common conversation. Should you change harm? That kind of thing. All yeah. those things that I hadn't considered very deeply until I saw people asking those questions. And has there been any content that you've seen that has particularly inspired you? Any of those questions in particular have, that have inspired you? I redid harm out of a conversation I had on the Discord with a couple people. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly excited for other people's games. Mm -hmm. And people have great ideas that I want to take into a game, whether or not it's Asphalt and Trouble. That actually brings up a good point. You know, we often refer people to the Discord because that's kind of where we all met. Mm -hmm. One thing I'd like to kind of talk to you about briefly before we get more into your game is people come in and they often ask similar questions, you know, changes to harm is almost kind mm -hmm. of like a meme in the forum at this point right. with how with how often it gets brought up and how often people are considering that very specific question. Right. But at the same time, like a, w one thing I want to kind of portray to listeners is it's a very open sharing environment. And mm -hmm. I, I wonder if you could speak to that. Like, I find that people on the Discord are very open for pe to people, you know, taking their ideas and running mm -hmm. with them. Have you benefited from that? I'm not sure if I personally have benefited yet, but there are definitely ideas I've taken and twisted. Yeah. I've certainly shared plenty of my ideas. I've seen, especially around stress that I can think of off the top of my head, mm -hmm. there are a number of ways that people have changed resistance and how much stress it costs and how you regain stress and that kind of thing that I've right. now seen in multiple people's games because <laughs> one person came up with the idea and other people commented and then suddenly everyone's got different stress resolution mechanics for resistance. Right. We have the questions of stress. We have the questions of people talking about special armor. There are these discussions that come up a lot that, yep. well, people who've been around for a mile might get tired of them. I think that they're <laughs> very, I think they're very beneficial to have because then when new people come in, they can see what maybe other people have solved their problem already. Mm -hmm. That kind of a thing. Yeah. I see sometimes, I think one of the best ways to get that kind of information is just ask, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I like this mechanic in my game. Mm -hmm. What have other people done? And then you'll get a huge list of everyone's different solutions to that. And you can pick and choose or twist them or combine them. 
And hopefully people will, if they're not part of the Discord, will glean a little bit of that from our discussions here on right. the podcast. Jacob, do you, have, do you have a favorite episode of the podcast, by the way, <laughs> as the producer? If there's anyone who's listened to them all, it's you. Mm-hmm. Just saying. That's true. I have. <laughs> I liked the one with She Who Ships. That was a good conversation about lore and the Discord itself. Yeah. Yes, that was a very pleasant episode. That re- most just recently aired, right? Yes, that was the last one that aired as of this recording. Yeah, excellent. I've definitely found out about some Kickstarters that I have since backed from the <laughs> Brinkwood and the Sig one. Yeah, I feel the same. It almost feels like an insult if I don't back a Kickstarter that I've <laughs> interviewed someone about. Uh, so, yeah, hmm. it's a dilemma. I'll have to be more careful about that in the future. <laughs> Who do I invite on? Right. <laughs> How much are they asking for for their initial pledge? Um, <laughs> so going back to Asphalt and Trouble. Sure. What do you think is the most important like mechanical difference that you've you've added to Asphalt and Trouble? What are what are the questions that you've tackled or what is the most important thing that you've taken out of the game, in your opinion? I tried to make a lot of small changes. Mm-hmm. So in the end, a lot of the structure matches blades more closely than some of the other games I've seen. So I keep mm-hmm. the scored downtime free play kind of structure and I keep the resistance basically the same. One of the biggest ones I changed was harm and that has some kind of ripple effects throughout. I've also added some more social mechanics as consequences again mm-hmm. to make sure that the result is not just you get injured, you get you know, knocked out, you get stunned. So that if you fail a role, you also might insult someone or you might develop an enemy. Mm. And my changes to harm fit with that too. They're not just physical injuries. Now you have setbacks, which can be physical injuries, or they can be things like you're out of ammo or you're surrounded. So you not only, if you're in, say, a social situation, have to worry about what kind of consequences you can have from being shot but also, you know, are you losing a debate? Could be a setback, that kind of thing. Ooh, I like that. And I definitely will ask you more about that shortly. One can look, you know, on the surface of a game about a biker gang and imagine how it could be very similar to the Blades formula. Like the Blades formula could work for if if you're right. considering like a modern day, like criminal biker gang, that just almost is another crew type in Blades in the Dark. Mm-hmm. How do you expand from that? How do you find the more subtle differences that, that go into making this game played differently? So I've tried a couple of bike specific mechanics. Mm-hmm. Most of them have honestly not taken very well. Part of my goal was to make the bikes and the chases and that kind of thing be uh, engaging. So I've generally driven towards a higher risk. So there are more benefits for rolling desperate actions and more ways to resist them. Mm-hmm. So the the main bike mechanic that I have currently is if you are on your bike, you get basically one free armor. You can resist a consequence by pushing your bike past its limit called wear. And you know during downtime, you tune it up or whatever. It doesn't take a downtime action to do. So as long as you stick to your bike, you're safer and can take those daring, desperate roles and succeed or fail without too much actual risk. Right. And along with that, trying to make it kind of more action-y, high speed. One common conversation on the Discord is the people get concerned about how slow it can be to talk about position and effect. And it's a valid concern for some people in some games. So to keep mine high speed, I 
wanted to keep it there. So I do. It's still in there. That conversation still happens and it does kind of slow things down sometimes. Right. When you fail enough desperate actions, you tick up a fuse clock. And when that fills, you do an action sequence. And the action sequence is every roll is desperate great. You cannot modify your dice and you just pick up the dice and roll and everyone gets plus one result level. Mm. So you're very likely to succeed. You pick up your dice roll. So everyone's just picking up dice and rolling as fast as possible, doing lots of huge high stakes action things all at once. Each crew, when you're making your crew, you come up with a theme song, which is some hard rock song. (laughs) And you're supposed to play that in the background. Right while you're doing this it's very action movie climactic sequence and it works really well it's a ton of fun i imagine this is being like the moment they turn on the nitrous or something yes exactly yep (laughs) in a in a fast and furious movie or whatever right okay i got you no that's actually very cool i love that image and i would love to actually play that sequence and see how that goes because it is nice just to have a sequence where everyone feels kind of super heroic right every once in a while and not have it be you know after the fact <laughs> kind of a uh-huh. feeling that you right. get from a bunch of successes yeah that's very cool you mentioned that structurally the game is fairly similar to blades now whenever i envision like a post-apocalyptic climate crisis mm-hmm. i don't envision much risk of our characters being arrested per se, like in Blades. How do you handle stuff like heat? Or do you even have an equivalent of heat in in Asphalt and Trouble? I do have heat. It's actually one of the other major changes that I did. Mm -hmm. I keep heat the same. It takes less heat to increase the, I call it the threat level, but it's the wanted level. Mm -hmm. It's, instead of the police, basically, it's the corporations. Right. Who are operating out of cities. You are out in the wilderness. And their interest in what you're doing and what everyone in the wilderness is doing is the threat level and it applies equally to everyone in the area Mm. so if you do something to annoy a corporation the corporation doesn't distinguish individuals they are going to come down on everyone it's not just you increasing heat any npc can also increase heat oh interesting and you increase heat by doing things with corporate networks or with the corporations or anything like that so if a gang is working with a corporation they're slowly increasing heat and everyone is going to hate them because the corporation is going to come down on everyone. I imagine the corporations are pretty scary, given that framing. Yeah. Yeah. I gave them an equivalent tier as though they were a gang of one higher than your threat level. Right. And the other big change is that I removed the reduce heat downtime action. So it just constantly increases. Ah, it just ramps up. Yep. Constantly ramps up and the challenge increases and the corporations come in until it reaches four, I believe. And you can choose to leave because they're interested in the area, not the people. You can choose to leave to a new area and lose, you know, a lot of your contacts and a lot of the uh, turf, you know, you lose all your turf, you lose a lot of your money, that kind of thing. But you can start over with zero heat, zero wanted level and uh, continue playing. Or you can take that as a stopping point. I wanted to make sure there was an explicit point where you could stop instead of assuming it's a game that goes on forever. Can you take them down and win? There are some... Alternate ways to play, I put at the end, kind of like how Blades does. Mm-hmm. For me, they're all alternate end states, basically. So by default, you cannot, but there are options to do so. Okay. One is like a highly defended piece of turf called a network tower or something, where you can spread the message of how evil the corporations are to the cities because they have a stranglehold, basically. 
I start rebellions in the cities and take them down that way. Yeah, Blades famously doesn't have an explicit end state beyond you reach the highest tier, really. <laughs> right. So even just the options to provide that for GMs as as guidance is is something is additional <laughs> is is additive to the game that's for sure. Yeah. It's always interesting to me how many games kind of keep that concept of just well it's just an open world as opposed to like providing an end state. There's a part of me that's very interested in that more explicit end state play. In even in games where it's just a sandbox and it keeps going as a GM it's valuable to talk to your players and say how long are we playing this for? Yeah. Especially when you're playing multiple different types of games, like when do we switch to the next one or that kind of thing. And having that built into the game, I think, helps. I could almost see someone playing a campaign of Hack the Planet and then playing your game after that in in some ways. Yes, definitely. At the end of Hack the Planet, you flee out into the wilderness and you play Asphalt and Trouble. You definitely could do that. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so... Uh, I know that there are other changes to the game that I like to talk about, but before we get into that, we should introduce our topic. So the topic today is a simple one in terms of blades. It's consequences and complications, which in most games, you know, it might be the loss of hit points or some narrative setback. And and that's that's true in blades. But in blades, we we kind of define consequences and complications in a variety of ways. You don't happen to have that handy, do you? Because I, I do. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there are a number of ways in which consequences and complications can arise in Blades in the Dark. There is, you know, a standard one that a lot of people go to, especially if they're new to running Blades, is harm, uh, which you've mentioned that you've changed in your game. And harm in, in Blades, for those who don't know, it's kind of a descriptive tag that you add to your character that can result in... Narrative penalties, narrative and mechanical penalties. Mm -hmm. The other one that is a go-to uh, on the mechanical end of things, if we're going to stay over there, is you can have suffer reduced effect. So your your action that you take is is less effective than usual. That's one that's often some people don't like that one. Maybe we can talk about that in a minute. And then there's there's also decreased position, i.e., things become more dangerous for your character in the near future. And then a big one that is bigger than any of those others is complications. Would you like to describe what a complication is for, for our listeners? Sure. So it's, I mean, fundamentally, it's just kind of any narrative change that gets you in a worse position or without ha like being an explicit worse position. But something else happens that moves the story forward or causes problems. Yeah, it's kind of a catch-all for narrative consequences, which yes. in Blades often result in mechanical uh, penalties or difficulties or challenges, but largely they can be summarized just as a story beat. Right. So a complication might be indistinguishable even from like reduced effect or reduced position in some ways. If rocks fall, mm -hmm. that could <laughs> that could be purely narrative, but it probably will also result in trouble for your character. Right, exactly. Yeah, a decreased position of sorts. Where do you like to bounce your consequences and complications? Where do you like to focus your attention whenever you're designing? So one thing that I changed that is not a large change, and it rarely really comes up, mm -hmm. is complications are not a consequence. They are something completely different. Ah, so the GM can introduce a complication at any point, which is really just telling them the, them telling the story and saying this also happens, you know, mm -hmm. someone else shows up or something changes. 
And then if you have a consequence, it will have reduced effect or reduced position. You state those explicitly all the time. Right, mm -hmm. right. And then anything that falls outside of those is a setback, which I mentioned before it is kind of like harm. It's something that has a narrative effect. It might change a position or for effect depending on what your character is doing, what the setback is, that kind of thing. Tell me about setbacks. What, how does that work in play? Everyone has four possible setback slots that they can fill, and they're not tiered like harm is. And they can be long-term or short-term. And they can really be anything that your character has to overcome or might cause a problem. Mm -hmm. So they can be injuries. So you can say, you know, I broke my leg. Anything I do running, I'm going to have reduced effect. That's going to be a setback. And say a broken leg is going to take time to heal, so it might be a long-term setback. Mm -hmm. Being out of ammo means now I can't shoot a gun. Doesn't matter what my effect is with a gun, my effect is zero because I have no ammo. But that might be short-term. All you need to do is pick up someone else's ammo or reload at the end of the score or something like that. And how does that play into the action mechanics? Is a setback just another complication or is it something additive to that? It's just something to consider when you're telling the narrative, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It doesn't change your dice. One of the common complaints about harm is that you have to remember that it's there and then calculate that into the dice. Yes. Uh, it's one of the only places where you have a negative die. Yeah, especially paying online. I know a lot of people just forget that they have a right. <laughs> point of harm because <laughs> they're not yeah. always looking at their own character sheet or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you've got multiple tabs open, one of them is your character sheet and you're not on that. You forget that, oh, I'm bleeding. That means that I take minus one die. Mm -hmm. So it can be harder with the setbacks sometimes to see how they're applicable. So bleeding, as an example, is an obvious harm, but as a setback, what does it really mean that now I'm bleeding? I can still do most of the same things I can. So it kind of changes the framing of what, what counts and what is not a setback and what kind of consequences you can have. I do like that it is a reminder for players narratively to roleplay their, uh, their setbacks, right? To, if you have to state out loud that, you know, the setback is I am limping, that is more likely to come up in the fiction, which is ultimately the goal of those like harm penalties, you know, in a certain sense. Yeah, I think it does fit a similar goal. By making it not just harm, it can be any kind of setback. You have a lot more availability. Mm -hmm. It makes coming up with a result for like a consequence for a negative result easier almost. You just pick a setback that's related. You don't have to figure out how it actually hurts you or something. Do you have any favorite setbacks, perhaps for a more of a social action, let's say? I'm trying to think of any social ones that I've done before. The game is pretty high action, so social stuff definitely comes up. Right. But so let's say you were trying to get everyone's attention, say, follow me. You roll terribly. You could say ignored as a setback. Everyone <laughs> thinks that you're, you know, going off on your own thing and no one wants to pay attention to you. And in order to get anyone to listen to you now, you have to overcome this short term setback. That's actually really fun, and I would be encouraged as a player not to resist that, for sure. Right. If mm -hmm. I thought it was like a fun thing to roleplay in a scene, yeah. as me just being chronically ignored. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. I, can, I, can see, I can definitely see the benefit of that, and I'll have to consider uh, it for my own design. So, speaking more generally about complications and consequences, do you find yourself in Blades in the Dark, uh, do you find yourself favoring certain consequences and complications or others? Are there any that you don't like to use? I've, especially when I was kind of still learning and figuring out Blades mm -hmm. and Fortune of Dark Games, found myself falling back on reduced effect 
probably too often. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't move the narrative forward. It just moves the narrative more slowly, which is not necessarily exciting. Right. So in some of just the jam guidance I've given, I put that as a fallback if you can't think of anything else, because the dice mechanics want you to fail forward. Mm-hmm. Reduce effect is failing less forward, and it's not as exciting. I think that's true, and I, th- I think um, a lot of people actually have claimed that it's a bad consequence to give, that you shouldn't ever give it. I, I kind of disagree with that. I think that there are narrative story beats that you can think of where the hero comes an inch short of mm-hmm. completing the thing, and then in a dramatic moment, they they finish what they started. Yes. You know, right. That's a cool thing to do, and if you can think of that as like a story beat you're going for in the fiction, use that consequence. But you're right. Like, especially if you're reducing someone's effect to zero, that's, <laughs> that's really, yeah, right. that's really rough, buddy. That's as, that's as close as much of failure as it is anything else. Yeah. Right. I could see changing reduced effect to you cannot complete this on your own and require mm-hmm. someone else to complete it for you or something like that. You need help. You need help. Right. You can make it halfway, but someone else has to finish it for you or something like that. I like that too. Or even, you know, it's, it's actually, especially with narrative consequences, it's easy to imagine half measures, you know, like you're this close, you nudge it. It's just an inch away from, (laughs) from the MacGuffin and someone just needs to nudge it into the goal or whatever. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can imagine something other than zero effect, even if, even if that's essentially what it is. And are there any other issues with with consequences or complications that you might try to pr- give to new designers like anything to watch out for anything to embrace so one of the reasons why one of the things that originally made me think of changing complications as not a consequence mm-hmm. into something completely different was when i was running a one shot at a con and i decided to introduce another gang to make things more exciting and i did it i can't remember for sure i think i might have done it like as part of a role like they failed Mm -hmm. something and there were two consequences one was whatever the other was this other gang shows up and they said i'm going to choose not to resist that because that sounds exciting and i thought for a minute like you know of course if it it's exciting and if you resisted that i as the gm would be really disappointed because that would not be fun we then you'd have succeeded and the game would be over and we've got another two hours for this one shot right so that was what originally made me think about it Sometimes as a GM, you just need to be able to put things in front of your players and see how they react. So part of the difference is complications cannot be resisted because they're not consequences. You can only resist consequences. Oh, that is actually a big one. You occasionally see GMs presenting a consequence that doesn't make sense to be resisted or what have you. That's probably the only good sign of like maybe a bad consequence that you're giving. I know in my own work, Uh, I've actually built in the idea that you I don't think it's necessary, but per se, but my style is to always provide the consequences up front. Sure. To kind of prevent that exact thing from happening, (laughs) because there's nothing worse than realizing, oh, that whole negotiation we just had is actually bad. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense now. Yeah, exactly. Consequences and complications are their own thing. But trouble is kind of a bigger more encompassing word that we can use that might include something like entanglements. What do entanglements look like in Asphalt and Trouble? So they're another area that I changed fairly significantly. You're hitting all the big Mm -hmm. ones. (laughs) I moved them in front of scores instead of after them. And 
there's something that will happen during the score. So this is going to be a complication. It's not something that's going to be resisted. And yeah, there are much like the blades ones. Most of them have two choices. One is either social, and one is environmental. That's another place where I bring the climate apocalypse in. So if you roll poorly, you might be trying to steal this corporate convoy or hijack this corporate convoy uh, in the middle of a hurricane or during a sandstorm, something like that. Or depending on what the GM picks, if they pick the social side, you do it while another gang is doing the same thing or an enemy shows up and gets in your way or someone you didn't expect is driving the convoy and now you have to deal with that social consequence. So it's just an easier way to give GMs ideas to make it interesting. And you said you kept the heat system. Is it still primarily driven by that? Yes. So there are different tables depending on the threat level. And Mm -hmm. the higher the threat, the more of the results are corporate involvement. You know, they're more interested. You're more likely to fight them and face them and that kind of thing. And the the harder they come down on you. A third source of trouble that I think uh, Mm -hmm. is people are very aware of with Blades when they play, but maybe isn't as well defined is the trouble that players heap on themselves. Sure. What kind of trouble do you imagine players in the fiction of Asphalt and Trouble kind of getting into, intentionally or otherwise? (laughs) There's a few ways. I will say that, to some extent, that's an area I've been working on building out more. One of the popular aspects has been modifying your bike, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And like in the crafting and the blueprints in Blades, you ask back and forth a couple questions. So one of the questions is, you know, if, if you want to modify your bike, which everyone does at some point, mm-hmm. how does this cause you trouble? What, you know, rare component do you have to get? Or how do you refuel this thing or that kind of thing? And so players will sometimes go to great lengths to get turf or something to get the access to the things they need and that type of thing. Awesome. You know, in Blades, we have access to Devil's Bargains, which, of course, are mm-hmm. one easy way for players to give themselves issues. That too, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that people in Asphalt and Trouble would be very willing to take uh, a Devil's Bargain just as well. The fiction seems like that would lead to that. Absolutely. I know in Blades, another thing that we have is we have people who, you know, end up flirting with their rivals. We have people who end up pissing off the wrong people. And that mm-hmm. is something that is, is rife for, for the GM to, to pluck uh, and, and play on in downtime. What kind of trouble do you find develops in an Asphalt and Trouble campaign that's kind of outside, that's more story beats as opposed to like pure mechanical? I wanted it to not just be about these lone wilderness writers. It is mm-hmm. also about the community that you're in yeah. and establishing relationships in that community. If and when you leave because the corporations come down on you, the relationships are some of the only things you can take with you. Those, you know, you leave with the people you like, you go in the opposite direction of the people you don't, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But as another consequence option for the GM, you can slight someone, an NPC, which is insult or cause harm to an NPC, and they'll remember that. And you have to, during your downtime, well, you don't have to, during your downtime, you may choose to appease them, apologize, and make it better, and promise not to do it again, and that kind of thing. And if you don't, then they develop a grudge. So at any point, the GM can pull out someone who has a grudge on you and throw them into the scene, cause problems, or have people who have grudges against you spread rumors about you, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
which can make all your big overarching schemes harder and more challenging. Any favorite moments from either an Asphalt in Trouble or Blades in the Dark campaign focusing the consequences? My favorites are always this person, just because I like the trope, so-and-so unmasks themselves and they are, you know, you're, <laughs> you've been fighting your best friend this whole time or something like yeah. that. So that's an example where that could be either a complication or a consequence. And that kind of thing always drives the players to engage much more. If you're fighting faceless, you know, mooks, and suddenly they are turn out to be someone who you've known this whole time, that always is a point of drama and excitement. And is a great devil's bargain. One of my favorites, too. <laughs> One of my favorites is the, you have to go on a date with this person. Mm-hmm. Sure. Or, or, or the equivalent, like you have to be up close and personal with them for a prolonged period of time, and you really would rather not. <laughs> yeah, a lot of interesting plot points end up coming from those, that particular devil's bargain of sorts. There was a very extreme example of that in my first Blaze game, where we were invading the manor of the Spirit Wardens, and they had trapped an ice demon in the basement. And we let it free and were trying to escape it. And one of the players decided that their character would have to date it. <laughs> Begin to romance this ice demon. Beautiful. And it became, yep, became the central <laughs> plot of the game. I love it. Love to see it. Yep. Yep. It's been interesting doing all these interviews uh, for various games and seeing, kind of getting a feel for how they fall on the balance of like what kind of consequences they prefer. Mm -hmm. You know, Ian's death wish, I feel, favors a particular kind of consequence over, say, what what Court of Blades might favor. And I'm sure that Asphalt and Trouble has its own kind of balance there, yeah. as does my own Mothlight. How much do the kind of consequences presented to players define a game, do you feel? I would say it's most of the definition of the game. Mm -hmm. For example, in D&D, the major consequence is the risk of death. And that yeah. kind of leads a lot of the story to be about fights to the death, which is its own um, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> problem and everything. So if your possible consequences are heavily social or involved in, say, the faction game, like you know, Court of Blades might be, then your story is going to be about avoiding those consequences and dealing with the social uh, fallout and all that kind of thing. Or embracing them. Or embracing them, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is maybe the one of the beauties of Blades as a whole, is that it gives you that choice to embrace the consequences and still have the story be very interesting. <laughs> right. Right. Even though it's not really a consequence in the same way, Blades has a big focus on having to pay tithes and that kind of thing, and it costs a lot <laughs> yeah. of going to level up so mm -hmm. getting money in blades is kind of one of those consequences complications that you were uh, involved in and that drives the fiction to be about how can we do these scores and get money to afford all the things we want yeah blades blades itself is very much about being picked on yes <laughs> like like how much are we willing to be picked on how how hard are we going to fight to not be picked on anymore <laughs> by these by these big bullies who surround right. us <laughs> yeah yeah and a big part of that is earning enough money <laughs> mm -hmm. right it, your money feeds into yeah. your lifestyle which prevents you from getting picked on yeah i guess i guess what i'm trying to say is it's really about lunch money right exactly. it's a game about lunch money well excellent that's given me a lot to think about and we are we are running 
closer to to our deadline for this for this interview. Before we leave off this topic, do you have any last thoughts on consequences and complications? Uh, any advice that you'd like to give for people just starting out designing their own system? Yeah. So think about the kind of story your system is trying to tell. Mm -hmm. I tried to tell a high stakes story. So I had to have multiple options for stakes, all these consequences and complications and that kind of thing. And also have more reasons to do desperate roles to make the high stakes. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want it to be a very punishing system, unlike maybe Death Wish. So I also added in additional ways to resist so that you've got mm -hmm. both ends. So think about if you're trying to be high stakes or punishing or deadly or social or friendly or that kind of thing and fit your consequences to that and you'll hit, you know, 90% of the tone that you're trying to fit. Excellent. Thank you, Jacob. Well, thank you for joining us today and for all your insights into Asphalt and Trouble. If our listeners want to learn more about you or your games, where can they go? My Twitter account is at Jacob also. And Asphalt and Trouble has its own Twitter account that I don't use very much, but it is at Asphalt underscore Trouble, I believe. Mm -hmm. You can find Asphalt and Trouble on my itch, jacobalso.itch.io. As well as the Drowners. As well as the Drowners, yep. Mm -hmm. Blades in the Dark crew book for divers in the Void Sea. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I suppose I should add my own plugs here before we do the outro. You can find me uh, on my Twitter, at Mothlands. And you can find me on itch.io at moth-lands.itch.io, where you can find my own Forge in the Dark game and all of my playbooks that I've developed over, over the last year. And for the Unusual Suspects Jam, which you should also take a look at if you have not yet. This has been a great episode of Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forge in the Dark games and their designers. I'm Justin. And I'm Jacob. And yes, you're Jacob, both co-host co-host and guest today yep. and editor yep wow that's a lot of roles remember <laughs> when it comes to design we all begin our journeys as hacks in the dark mm -hmm.